Welcome to MOB402, Authentication and Authorization in GraphQL with AWS AppSync. My name is Karthik Saligrama. I'm a software development engineer with the AWS mobile team. Uh, my team and I are responsible for working on the AWS AppSync service and the client SDKs that come with it. Um, quick show of hands, how many of you know what GraphQL is or have used this? Oh, that's good, great. Oh. Uh, and how many of you have used AWS AppSync? Okay, not bad. Um, so diving into what you can expect from this session, it's great that a lot of you have used GraphQL, so it helps um, me specifically, but you as well to understand the session better. So with this session, you will learn how to implement the different identity management techniques in GraphQL using AWS AppSync, Amazon Cognito user pools, Amazon Cognito Federated Identities, and AWS Identity and Access Management. So you need some knowledge of how IAM policies work, like high-level knowledge of how they work. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, Amazon Cognito user pools. So if you've not used this, I'll try to introduce that uh, a little bit, but only a high level of understanding is required. Um, GraphQL, of course, you need to know the type system and things like that in order to like, fully understand how you can fully take advantage of both GraphQL and the authorization and authentication support by AppSync. And specifically around AWS AppSync uh, primitives, like what is a data source, what is a resolver, um, what does the schema look like, and things like that. So if you have some knowledge, uh, great. But I will, uh, if not, I'll be introducing some of the topics uh, as we go. And any new topic that comes up, we can talk about it. So what is identity management? Um, I stole this quote out of Wikipedia, but it very accurately articulates uh, what it is. It basically is anything that enables right individuals to access the right resources at the right time for the right reasons. Um, with this, what comes to my mind is like three types of access patterns in, when it comes to your application data. So the first one is public data access, um, private data access, and custom data access. Public data access is when the data is public, it's not confidential, the user, it's not user specific in most cases. And uh, examples of public data access can be like the blogs, like Medium or AWS blogs. So uh, whenever any blog is posted, that information is publicly consumable by anyone in the world as long as they have internet. Private data access is um, when, it can be of two types. One is the data is private to that particular individual who is accessing it, or the data can be confidential in terms of like, only certain people can have access to a particular kind of data, right? So with this, Going back to our blog example, if I were writing a blog, if I was the author of a blog and I'm in draft mode, uh, during that time, I am going to, that blog is private to me. So that, whatever data that the blog represents is private to me as an individual. So that is an, an example of how uh, data access can be private. The third is custom data access. So this is where the data access is, uh, combination, can be combination of public or private, and it can access to certain parts of data which is private can be privileged or restricted, or again public for uh, public data. And the access to certain data can be guarded by further by application logic. So 
um, custom rules, things like that. So if you have any of those, those basically are like custom data access pattern. And this is most likely going to be the case because custom data access pattern is driven by the application logic. So every user, every, every application has its own business logic to implement. And business logic kind of determines how and who the access, uh, who, which user can access the data. So in all the three data access patterns, uh, we see three type, two parts to it. The first part is the authentication piece. The authentication piece is responsible for like, you know, identifying who the user is. Even for public data access, the authentication piece determines that it's an anonymous user. So once the uh, user is authenticated and identified, the authorization takes over. And you can apply custom rules using whatever system that you have on the identity of the user who just logged in. So AWS AppSync supports four types of these auth modes include authentication and authorization. So for public data access, uh, we support a API key for where you can specify X API key in the header and um, any user who has that API key has essentially access to any query or mutation in GraphQL. Then there are other three types of authentication and authorization. The first one is Amazon Cognito user pools. Uh, OpenID Connect-based authorization, and AWS IAM-based authorization. All, the, all these three of them represent private or custom data access patterns. So you can use IAM for something like a combination of public and private kind of use cases by using something like Cognito federated identities. Or you could just use a signed-in user by uh, permission uh, access restriction on uh, your schema by using something like uh, Cognito user pool and only specific users in the service have access to that particular data. Let's take a look at how the authentication works in each of these scenarios, right? In API key, the device or the client first makes a call to AWS AppSync service using the X API key header. So that header uh, is, that value for that X API key is um, specific to an endpoint, needs to be specific to an endpoint, and it has an expiration uh, to it. it. Once the device sends that API key information to the AppSync service, AppSync is going to validate whether the API key is scoped to that particular domain or the endpoint that was provisioned, and if the API key has expired or not. Once these checks are um, validated and the API key has not expired and is valid, AWS AppSync service then for each field that is, uh, for each resolver, it's going to assume an application role and make a call to your downstream data source. So your data source can be a Lambda function, an Amazon DynamoDB table, it can be Amazon Elasticsearch, or uh, we recently introduced support for serverless Aurora data API, so um, you can use that as well. You can also do arbitrary HTTP endpoints without uh, assuming any application roles even. If you're using Amazon Cognito user pools, the device or the client first makes a call to Amazon Cognito user pools. So Amazon Cognito is a user directory service which can deal with sign-in, sign-up, and social login, uh, even federate social login providers. So what Amazon Cognito user pool is going to do is it's going to authenticate the user. If the user is authentication succeeds, it's going to return back ID token and access token uh, to the device. 
The device then needs to send this ID token or the access token in the authorization header to AWS AppSync service. AWS AppSync is going to use OpenID validation process to validate the uh, token against uh, Amazon Cognito user pools. So there is like a specific user pool that you associate for every endpoint. Once the token is validated, what it's going to do is it's going to deconstruct the ID token and the access token. Now the ID token and access token uh, are of JWT format, which is, stands for JSON Web Tokens. So it has a header, it has a payload, it has a signature. So it's going to validate the signature, it's going to validate all the other information like expiration and things like that. And it's going to deconstruct that payload and generate claims out of it. Once the validation succeeds, what AWS AppSync is going to do is it's going to uh, pass on the claims that was generated to the resolver so that you can add additional authorization logic. So, and it makes a call to your underlying data source for every resolver that is requested by assuming an application role. If you're using an OpenID Connect authorizer, um, <coughs> the Identity system is the OpenID Connect system. So if you're using something like Auth0 or Okta, um, that's essentially your identity system, and that is the system that's going to deal with authentication. So once the device, again, gets the, uh, does the sign-in process, it's going to get the JWT token, the ID token or the access token, pass that as the authorization header to AppSync. AppSync is then going to validate the token against that uh, identity source, and it's going to, if um, the identity is, if the authorization check passes, it's going to assume an application role, generate the claims, and uh, make a call to the underlying data source. If you're using IAM, so for example, if I have something like a SAML provider or my own custom mechanism in which I want to author custom token that I am generating in with my own uh, identity system. Um, the device or the uh, mobile client needs to make a call to the under that identity system that you're using, get the, um, get the token, whatever it returns. It's, then you need to use something like Amazon Cognito or Amazon STS to federate uh, the token into, the, uh, into AWS. And with that, it, once the federation succeeds, the Amazon Cognito or Amazon STS service is going to return back access key and secret. You need to use the access key and secret along with other combination like region and domain information to SIGV4 sign the request object to AWS AppSync, which then again uh, is going to validate the uh, SIGV4 signature and make a call to the um, underlying data source uh, by assuming, assuming an application role once the uh, signature validation passes. So in all these, uh, like, all these uh, types of authentication and authorization mechanism, um, you have some sort of a system that is actually dealing separately with authentication, right? So you have um, your identity system, your OpenID Connect provider, Amazon Cognito user pool, which is actually authenticating you. But what about specifically the authorization part of it? How do you restrict access? Now, before we jump into the, the authorization for AppSync, um, I want to call out the, the types of authorization that we have. Um, the first type of authorization, can, it can be broadly put into three categories. I'm sure there are more. But in, case, uh, in types of authorization, the first type that you have is the implicit authorization. Um, implicit authorization is like a relatively simple application 
if as long as uh, needs it. So implicit authorization is when uh, every user who is authenticated into the system um, gets access to the same uh, resource type. So it does not make a distinction between two different uh, users. So that's like a very simple way of authorizing somebody. So as long as you're authenticated, you're good. Uh, you have access to any resource that you want. So this is like a very simple way of looking at uh, authorization and it's um, implicit in nature. So the second type of authorization that we have is coarse grain authorization. Now coarse grain authorization is basically a top level authorization. You apply coarse grain authorization at the perimeter of the system. By perimeter, what I mean is that it only uses whatever is the request information to kind of like restrict access. So, uh, so in case of like a REST API, if I have the resource path and whatever is the HTTP operation, those two can be used to kind of like formulate some sort of like a uh, resource and action that is being done on a particular resource, right? Um, now you can use the resource and action along with a combination of like uh, uh, allow effect, like allow deny or something like that can be used to ac control access to that particular resource. The third type of authorization is fine-grain authorization. So in fine-grain authorization, simply put, um, anything more than coarse-grain authorization is fine-grain authorization. Um, it, it's an example of that is, let's say that I have access to a particular resource, but there are certain fields in my GraphQL query which I want to restrict access to. So that's fine-grain authorization because that is, um, that needs to know your underlying, that needs to have an understanding of your underlying uh, data model in order to actually make, uh, like actually um, apply the authorization checks. So let's take an example of coarse grain authorization. Um, and I'm gonna show a demo of fine grained uh, and uh, implicit authorization and fine grained uh, as well. But let's start with coarse grain authorization. Let's take this GraphQL schema. So there is a, a schema with a query. Query has two fields. The first one is called all users. The second one is called me. Um, and all users returns a list of type users. Uh, users has ID, field name, last name, and BFFs. So if I wanted to, as an administrator on the system, if I wanted to restrict access to all users in my, um, to any user who is not an admin should not be able to uh, call all users. That's a simple authorization check that I want to add. So if I am using Amazon Cognito user pools, what I can do is I can add AWS auth directive to all users so that I can restrict the administrators, the Cognito uh, groups uh, of type admin. So any user who is of, uh, belongs to the Cognito group admin in Amazon Cognito user pools will only be allowed to access the all users field. Let's take a, let's see how this works in action. Okay. So I have already have pre-created a schema and in my schema, I have uh, configured it to use Amazon Cognito user pools. Um, this user pool has a configuration. It's pointing to a US uh, user pool in US West 2 region. It has a specific user pool. And there is a default action associated with it. 
What is this default action? So default action is when, if there is no AWS auth directive, then I want to apply this default action on, um, on any request or any field re resolver. So this is, in a way, implicit authorization, because uh, all I'm doing is authorizing the validity of the token at this point. So as long as the tokens are valid, anyone who has, who, uh, anyone, any field that does not have AWS auth directive um, can be accessed by any user. If I go, to, I have a data source. Let's, let's first go to the schema. So I have a schema. So it has type query. It has, um, it, which has two fields, all users and me. The all users, uh, as shown in the presentation, is restricted to only admins of the Cognito group. And in my Amazon Cognito user pools, I have two users. Uh, going by my Simpson examples, uh, I have two users, Homer Simpson and Marge. And I have a single Cognito group called admin. And in my administrator, I have uh, just Homer Simpson listed as the admin. Um, I also have a table where I am storing the ID of the user, first name and last name. So essentially, what I'm trying to do in my application is I'm trying to validate the user by uh, validating the authorization token and then trying to get who the user is uh, and uh, also apply permissions for all users, right? So if I go to the schema again and click on the resolvers, what I'm doing is, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with AppSync, this is, every uh, resolver has uh, two properties. It's a request mapping template and a response mapping template. Uh, request mapping template, the mapping templates are a way to trans, uh, convert the GraphQL query to the, something that the underlying data source can understand. So for example, if I have a data source that is associated, uh, in this particular case, I have a data source called user table. The user table data source is actually a Amazon DynamoDB data source, which points to the table I just uh, showed over here. So in this uh, particular resolver, what I need to do in my request mapping template is uh, this template is written in velocity templating language, or VTL for short. So it's a logicful template that, that allows you to do like conditional checks and things like that. Um, and because it's a logicful template, you can, uh, will give you some sort of like context information. And one of the context information over here is the identity object which contains the claims. So going back to the previous slide where we said, where I said that, uh, the once the request comes into Amazon AppSync, AWS AppSync, with the authorization token, we deconstruct the token and generate the claims. The claim information is available in the context.identity object. So now I can use context.identity.sub, which uniquely identifies the user because as a subject, and do a get item on my DynamoDB table. So it's a simple get operation, and it's using the user's context to uh, retrieve some data. So in a, some ways, this is actually fine-grained uh, control. But let's go to the all users part, which we are more interested in. It has a simple, uh, it also points to the user table, where it is doing a scan operation on my DynamoDB table. So you get all the records. Basically, it's, it's just that. Now I can go to my schema. If, let's see how this works in action, right? So let's log in. So 
this part, I'm actually logging in with Amazon Cognito user pool and getting a token, a JWT token. So I've successfully logged in. I have, this is my GraphQL query. So in this query, is this visible? Yeah. Uh, in this query, I have two fields that I'm retrieving. The first field at the top is me, which is, represents who I am as a user, um, which we saw it's a DynamoDB get on the subject, right? Uh, passing the ID as a subject. Now, the second query, the second field is the all users, which on which we applied the coarse grained permission control, right? If I run this query, you see that I. I was able to get the data about who I am as a user. So me returned with a response from my DynamoDB table because the subject matched with a record, a hash key in my DynamoDB table. So I was able to get that information. But if you look at all users, it returned a value null. The reason why, it says that the error type over here is shown up as unauthorized, which kind of makes sense because I have added AWS auth as the check. And because I had a default action of allow in my settings, I was able to query me. And because I was not part of the administrator, the user who logged in is not part of the administrator, I was not able to get the all users. Now let's see another example where the user is actually admin. So I was able to successfully get both me and all users, right? So this is like a, a simple way in which you can uh, do coarse-grained access control on using Amazon Cognito user pools. But we said that there are three types of other authorization and four, three types of other authorization apart from Cognito user pools. So let's see how you can apply the same logic in using other modes of authorization. So if I was using IAM policies, right? So IAM policies have statements which have, um, I'm skipping over some of the other parts, but predominantly has effect, action, and uh, resource. In a GraphQL query in AWS AppSync, uh, resource, the f I, I'm applying the permissions on the field, all users, or me, or whatever your field that you want to apply the permissions to. So that field is uniquely identified by specifying the API ID, the type name, and the field name. And in this particular policy, what I've done is I've specified the field as star. Um, I've specified all APIs, but in practice, I would actually restrict scope it down to that particular API ID. And I'm saying I want to allow. So this is essentially a permission that you would give an administrator on the system. If I want to restrict access to all users again using IAM policies, what I can do is I can add additional statement over here which has an effect of deny on all users. And because IAM policies have apply effect of deny before allow, um, any user who uses this has uh, gets uh, credentials using this policy will not have access to all users. So you can use a combination of both of them and you can use some sort of like an orchestration mechanism to actually uh, vend a credential scope to uh, each of those policies. So you can use uh, STS or something like that to kind of uh, get credential scope to that uh, each of those policies individually and apply them based on which user you have logged, which user has logged in. 
Now, we said that API key also allows uh, some sort of mechanism so, uh, to coarsely control the access on the, uh, the fields, the field resolvers. How, how would you do that? Because there is no uh, uh, identity that is established over here. Every user is anonymous, right? So with API key, what you can do is in your request and response mapping templates, what uh, you can, because it's a logic-full template, Velocity is a logic-full templating language, you can apply uh, checks like uh, example one where you're checking the API key belonging to a particular uh, one or not. So if you check, only users who have a particular API key can actually access this particular resolver is what the example one is doing. And if the API key does not match, then I'm gonna throw a util.unauthorized exception on that particular field. I can extend the same thing to like, an, um, similar thing to Cognito user pools or OpenID connect provider. So I can have, uh, I can check whether the context identity dot username, which uniquely identifies the user in, your, in my system, is a particular username or not. And if it is not, throw an unauthorized exception. So this was coarse grain access control. How would you do fine grain access control? In AWS AppSync, predominantly there are three ways in which I can think of like users can apply fine grain access control. The first mechanism in which the users can apply fine grain access control is by using the data access control of the underlying data source. So, um, so for example, um, DynamoDB supports conditional expressions, so you can apply conditional checks in your re request mapping templates to actually control what the user sees. The second, uh, uh, if you're taking Elasticsearch, you can use term queries. If you're using SQL, you can do uh, like you know joins because SQL allows that. The second type in which you can do fine-grained access control is by using intelligent schema design patterns. And I'm gonna explain what that actually means. And the third type is a new feature that we recently announced a week or so back called pipeline resolvers. And I'm gonna show how pipeline resolvers really simplifies authorization, and not just authorization, but any, um, how you can implement resolvers um, in a more abstract way and like in a more friendly way. <clears throat> so let's take a look at the first um, way in which you can do fine grain access control uh, using the data access control of the underlying data source. So here what I'm doing is I'm querying a DynamoDB index by using uh, and checking for an expression where I'm saying that if the role is an admin, only then, um, if the role field, which is an attribute value, is an admin, only then return the data. Uh, what this essentially means is that that role field, you're, you're embedding that role value inside the table that you, in, in, for, on each row that uh, is returned by this query. So another example with the Elasticsearch, is if I have a term query where I'm saying that one of the fields in the search index is a field called role, and the field has, and the role value has to be admin. And with SQL, I can do, because uh, we can do joins in SQL and you can do condi uh, uh, conditionals like exist statement in MySQL, you can actually check with two different uh, data, data tables and make a, 
and select only if exists by using something like exist clause um, validate whether the user has permissions or not. Now, with the exception of the SQL example, um, what essentially the first uh, the by using the underlying data source access patterns. There are a couple of uh, disadvantages of that because the first disadvantage is that you now have to embed the role in every um, row and all the tables that you are accessing the data needs to contain that role, right? So that's bad because let's say the role changes, you're going to end up with a situation where you will have to update make updates on all the rows that contain that uh, role value for a particular user, right? Um, the same applies for Elasticsearch as well. And if I actually want to uh, use a third system where, where my authorization or role logic is in another system, what uh, I cannot do that because uh, a single data source a single data, uh, single resolver can only do one operation on a data source. So I can only do one DynamoDB get item, or I can only do one Elasticsearch search, or I can only do one Lambda invoke. So if I were to have two different tables, how would that look like? So I have two tables, one called user role and one called users. Um, and this is like, let's assume that this is my data, how the table, information stored in my database. I can use some sort of like intelligence. Let's see how we can do, uh, overcome the problem of like um, having role information in two different data, uh, tables in our data sources using some sort of like schema design patterns. So this is my schema, which has a query, which has a type, uh, which has a field called admin get user details. And it returns a type user. Um, and there's another field called me. What I can do is I can return, instead of returning user as a return type for admin get user details, I can return a, a scaffolding object called like user data instead. What And user data actually contains the field user which I'm trying to re retrieve. What this allows me to do is it allows me to set up two resolvers. So one on the admin get user details page and one on the users, uh, sorry, one on the admin get user detail resolver and one on the user resolver. And because I can associate two resolvers on two different fields, I can actually do more than one operation and this allows me to get, uh, this allows me to add checks and for my authorization uh, in my application. Let's see a demo of how that works as well. So I have a schema um, that, again, an API that I had pre-created. It had the same user pool configuration as my previous one. Um, I have queries. Uh, as you can see, that this is returning a uh, type user data instead of just users. And I have two data sources now. One is a role table and one is a user table. The role table contains the uh, role information about the uh, user. Uh, and the user table contains the user information. So uh, there is some notion of a foreign key relationship over here. 
Now, in my schema, I have a resolver on admin get user details. All it does is it uses the subject from the claims that was generated in my Cognito user pools and does a DynamoDB get item on those uh, on that particular role table. And in response, what I'm doing is I'm uh, checking if the role that was returned to me is an admin or not. And if the role is admin, then throw uh, then return a, return a data, which is in this particular case, I'm returning the ID um, so that I can use it in my child uh, field. And if the role is not admin, then throw an unauthorized exception. Right. Um, I have another uh, resolver attached on the user field. So the user field points to the user table. And all it does is it uses the source ID information because I was returning the ID from the parent. Um, I can access that uh, ID information inside my, from my source object. So I can run a DynamoDB get item operation on the source dot, uh, using the source.id as my key. And it returns the, it does a pass through on the response. So there is, I'm not transforming the response in any way. Let's see this in action as well. Uh, I have an app client. Let's first log in with March. Okay, so what I'm trying to do is um, the ID 680 whatever, um, the grid belongs to Homer Simpson. So I'm going to execute this query. And as you notice, I got an unauthorized error, which is because Marge in my uh, DynamoDB record is not an admin. Now, this demo kind of like simplifies things a little bit. Your check around the uh, authorization can be way more complicated. It can be like um, doing if uh, a lot more conditional than what I am currently showing. So there is no limitation around what logic that you can apply in, in your templates. Now let's log out from uh, that user and log in as Homer Simpson. And because um, this user is an admin, I'm able to get the data, right? Okay. That was that. So what is the problem with this approach, though? Um, the problem here is that big, although I've solved the authorization problem in some way, uh, the thing is that this is leaky abstraction. And imagine having to do the same authorization re um, redirection for every query or mutation that I um, come up with. So that's going to be a pain, and it's going to bloat up my schema really um, badly. So how can I avoid this? Now, because of this particular issue, so in AWS AppSync, we released a new feature called as pipeline resolvers. So before I explain what a pipeline resolver is, I want to explain what exists today uh, before pipeline resolvers came out. So this is the flow diagram for a unit resolver. A unit resolver basically 
uh, what it does is whenever a field has to be resolved, it goes through a request mapping template where it does transformation on the object. It talks to the underlying data source. So it can be DynamoDB, AWS Lambda, or Elastic, Amazon Elasticsearch, um, or any other data source that you want, right? Once the response is returned from that data source, uh, it runs through a response mapping template. And the result of the response mapping template is the result of the field resolver. And as I mentioned, this is like a single re field resolver can only talk to a, can only run a single operation on your DynamoDB table, right? So with pipeline resolvers, what you can do, what we are doing is that the uh, request mapping data source and response mapping part, we are kind of abstracting that and we are calling them as functions. So you can associate more than one function as part of your pipeline resolver. You can serially execute them by, uh, by uh, listing them in a particular order. And this allows you to sort of, because you are abstracting each of those information, uh, each of the functions into its own, uh, like, you know, request mapping response and the data source invocation and the response, uh, you can reuse these functions across different pipeline resolvers. So in case of authorization, I can apply the authorize, I can use the same function to apply my authorization check across different uh, queries and mutation. There is no schema restructuring that is needed, so my schema stays as is, then there is nothing that I need to modify in order to get the required level of authorization, and there is no leaky abstraction in my application. So the client or nobody will come to know how the, uh, whether the authorization check executed or not as long as um, they're like, uh, the authorization check passes. So back to the flow diagram of the unit resolver, this is how a pipeline resolver would look like. So you have a field resolver, you have a before template which allows you to sanitize some information before the first function executes. You can apply up to 10 functions that are executed in a serial order. So the first function actually does a request mapping, data source and response mapping and it passes the result to the next function and so on and so forth until all the functions finish. Or you have short-circuited by adding some logic. So like for example, I can short-circuit some uh, uh, response for a resolver by, if I know what is the response, my end response going to be, I can short-circuit the execution of the rest of the functions uh, when I do make that determination. And once the response is, uh, of all the function execution is returned, then uh, after template is executed, that allows you to again sanitize the response before it's returned as a field resolver. So the response of the, the output of the after template, which is again a, a velocity template, allows is the output of the field uh, resolver. So going back to our user uh, role and user table example, what we can now do is we can have one function that talks to the user role table and uh, that, can, that can always keep talking to the user role table regardless of which uh, resolver I'm talking to and make the determination if the user has access to a particular, um, particular feature or not, particular resolver or not. And once again, this logic of like, uh, 
uh, role over here can be way more complex, and I'm like oversimplifying this right now. But, and, and the second part is like this uh, second function which actually gets the information that is required. So if I act, remove the first function, the function, the, the, I wouldn't be breaking the service. I would just be leaking the information to every user possible. So it's a, the function one is like a drop-in replacement in my pipeline resolver. And it just gives me authorization check. And because I can reuse functions, I can apply the same logic across my different, different resolvers. So if I run admin get user details with an ID one, with first name and last name, I get back the same response without any modification to my schema. And nobody would know as long as they're getting the valid response that that actually is authorization that's happening. So let's see this in action again. So I once again have an API that I have already created. Um, in my settings, I am actually uh, pointing to the same user pools that we previously saw. I have the query uh, admin get user details and me, which is taking ID input and it is returning a user type response. I have two data sources, which was the same as we saw previously, but now I have something called as functions. So in this functions, uh, it's point, the first function, which is called uh, as role function, is pointing to my data source called role table, which is querying my uh, DynamoDB record and my role. All it does is it's going to take the same subject logic, um, like this subject from my claims, and then do a get item on my DynamoDB table. And it's going to return, uh, it, if the role is admin in the response, it's going to return success. If not, it's going to return unauthorized. So the first function is going to block the execution of the query if the role is not admin. I have another function called user function, which all it does is it does a DynamoDB get by using the arguments. So notice that I didn't have to use the source object. I actually have had access to the arguments in this place. So that's why um, it makes it so simple to kind of like uh, Functions make it very simple for you to sort of deal with abstractions because it would, executing a single function is as good as, uh, uh, in, a, in a pipeline resolver is as good as running a unit uh, resolver, if, if that makes sense, right? Okay, so if I go to my schema, um, in my admin de get user details, I have a resolver called pipeline. So, there's a different UI that we see over here, so let me go and explain what this is. So I have a before mapping template, which is basically, this means it's a pass-through, I just don't want to send any information, I'm just gonna send a empty JSON object. I have a role function that I created, the role, same role function that I'm referencing over here. I can go ahead and add the same role function again and again, that's okay. Um, and I, this role function has the same uh, request mapping and response, so it's basically just referencing that value. And then I have a user function in my response, uh, in my, as my second function. So the, it's the same function that we saw earlier. And then I have an after template, which is basically a pass-through template. Now if I run my queries again,
So I logged in as Marge, who is not an admin. I got an unauthorized error. And let me log in with there. So I was, as Homer, I was able to request Marge's information because I was uh, an administrator on the system. Now, let's say I want to add a check. Uh, I want to make this a little bit more complex. Uh, let's say that in my system, if the user ID, the ID of the, in the arguments is the same as the subject of the user, that means if the uh, user is the same as the one, uh, the user that for whom the information that you're requesting is the same as the user who's logged in, I want them to see the information because that's okay, right? Because you're seeing your own information, so that's fine. So if I want to do something like that, I can go to my role function, which is um, which is my um, pointing to my DynamoDB get item. What I can do is uh, I can add a simple check that allows me to pass through. So in my request mapping or response mapping, I can simply add a check. So let me add this in the response mapping. Um, I can. So all it does is it's looking at the context dot identity dot subject. Um, comparing that with the arguments.id. If the user is the same, then what we are going to do is we are going to return and basically short circuit this function. Um, and we're going to uh, say that the user is actually authorized. I'm not going to do the role check for this particular scenario. So let's go and save this and run. So I go to queries. Homer works as, let me log in with Marge. Okay. So because Marge Simpson had the same ID as the, uh, as the subject, uh, I was able to get Marge Simpson's uh, information. Let's see if I can get the information if I am requesting someone else's. So if I do this, I still get the unauthorized error. So like I mentioned, the logic over here is, in, for the purposes of this demo, is pretty simple. But you can add really complicated logics for your uh, application. OK. So, before we finish off, I want to give a couple of tips. Uh, first of all, uh, pipeline resolvers and the functions concept is not just limited to authorization use case. You can use a lot of, um, you can use it for a lot of uh, scenarios. Um, for example, you if you want to kind of like push a notification using SNS or something, uh, you can do that. You can by attaching like uh, another function that just takes care of publishing a notification to like a topic. Um, that's one example that comes to mind. Um, other examples can be like if I want to log an audit record in one of the tables for like this particular row was accessed, I can do that as well. Um, but coming back to our uh, authorization cases um, and tips, what I want wanted to call out most importantly is that if it's possible as lo as much as possible try to keep try to keep your authorization logic simple um, 
and don't repeat your authorization logic across multiple resolvers. Uh, have a single source of truth. If you have uh, systems that are actually uh, talking to uh, like one GraphQL API and other REST API or SOAP or whatever, um, you and you have like a comp, uh, you have a same logic for all these uh, APIs, then you want to make sure that you are keeping the authorization logic in a layer that is kind of like helps you deal with cross-cutting concerns. So, so that is like way down in the resolver um, execution. The second uh, thing about using functions in pipeline resolvers is like keep it lean, keep it like scope to what it is supposed to do. So define what it is supposed to do first. Don't try to do more than one thing for in a single function. Um, they are reusable, so if you keep your function lean and, lean and abstract, it will help you reuse them across different uh, pipeline resolvers. Uh, be mindful of limits, and by this what I mean is, um, you can attach up to 10 functions in a single pipeline resolver, so 10 functions can execute serially, but keep in mind that you are still going to be blocked by the query execution time that, um, that we enforce on the service. So if you have more than one function or more than like a couple of functions that are taking long time to actually execute a GraphQL uh, query for a, on a particular resolver, then you're gonna start seeing some uh, e like you know degraded user experience. And finally, there are a couple of resources that I wanted to call out. Um, so there's, which actually talk you to through the different demos that I showed. So there's like a good blog on Medium about like how you can actually use Auth0 with AWS AppSync. There's a couple of examples of how you can do um, Cognito federated identities and this like one which recently came out which is not here, but uh, on the pipeline resolvers, one, um, the one we recently announced. Um, so there's a couple of minutes more left uh, and I can be here to answer any questions if you have any. Um, but that's it from me. Thank you.